2: Kokomo City takes up a seemingly simple mantle to present the stories of four black transgender sex workers, Daniela Carter, Leah Mitchell, Dominique Silver, and the late Coco Dedal. In Kokomo City, Daniela, Coco, Leah, and Dominique share their reflections on desire, confronting taboos, genders, many meanings, and the way black trans women are harmed by both structural and cultural impositions that render their lives less valuable than any other. The film is the directorial debut of Dee Smith, a veteran of the music industry who was shunned when she came out as trans. In creating Kokomo City, Dee Smith has captured an unapologetic and cutting analysis of black culture and society at large from a vantage point that is vibrating with energy, sex and hard-earned wisdom and tenderness, intimacy and humor. In our conversation today, we explore how the artistic process that made Kokomo City possible reflects what Dee's learned through her own survival, thriving, and liveliness, the role of forgiveness in clearing room for creative expression, and creating art about Black LGBTQ lives that intentionally extends beyond the confining limits of mainstream LGBTQ media narratives. Dee says she was inspired to create a work of art that not only calls us to imagine and produce better options for black trans women in the world, but also one that cis black women, her brothers, uncles, and father would encounter, and which might provoke necessary and life sustaining conversations about the world we want to inhabit together. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm busy being black with Dee Smith. Thank you so much for being here, Dee. Um, to open my conversations on Busy Being Black, i like to ask all of my guests the same question. How's your heart?
1: My heart is happy because it's, it's being used for what it's supposed to be used for. And, and I'm, I'm maximizing that opportunity. My heart is filled with uh, stimulation Joy, even the things that give me anxiety or disappoint me, my heart is uh, thriving in in the sense of it knows something is going to happen today. Like last last year this time, my heart was very sad and and uh, and lonely because I I, I was not <laughs> feeding it. You know, I was feeding it dirt and grit and sadness and. Um, this is a very different time for me and I'm, I'm happy. I think my heart is um, much needed, <laughs> but it's also really thriving. And uh, thank you for asking.
2: It's so interesting to hear you talk about feeding your heart dirt and grit and sadness. And as you were saying that, I was thinking of like our diets as queer black people in the world right now, you know, and and how so much, of the, so much of what we experience in life is dirt and grit with glitter on it, right? We're kind of cajoled into eating shit, right? And it's not until we do something for ourselves or move closer towards our purpose that we start to see what it is that we're eating and, and change that up. So I feel proud of you for, for, that, for that shift.
1: Thank you. No, know, I mean I love how you said that because it is literally the truth and queer people I've mentioned this in a couple interviews, like we're we're trained by each other and also society that we have to have this persona of superhumanness. Like I mean, we really are superhuman. We really are. We're magic like that, but we really are human, right? And and if even if we don't have it, we're gonna spend our last to look like we have it together and it's draining us it's 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 uh it's hard to maintain that that facade you know in fear of people you know talking about you in a negative way or you just not living up to the world's expectations so i had a conversation with Tiaz madison and i was led to tell her at the end listen we all we already know who you are we already know your intentions you've been doing this a long time and you've put a lot on the line you know, for yourself and for everyone. Um, it's okay for us as queer people to take a break. You know, I, I don't think we ever, we ever tell each other that. You know, it's okay to take a, a week off or two days off of being a leader or a politician or an activist or a trans person or a queer person or a gay man. It's okay. We have to turn that off sometimes and really just press that reset button to refuel and, and remember um, who we are as people.
2: Mm, yeah, that's a sermon. I was just having a conversation the other day. I've been, I'm part of a, a group of men who are trying to figure out how to be better men, right? And how to kind of di- divest from masculinity. And, you know, we're having conversations about what does masculinity look like that we want to inhabit. And I brought, you know, my queerness and my blackness and my gayness to this conversation. And I was like, I just don't know who I am, who, if I'm not a black gay man. Right, and I can sometimes feel this fire in me saying, "I'm a man," but I'm like, "What? What is that allegiance I have to masculinity, to manness, to to blackness, to gayness, to queerness? So much so that I don't know who I am without it, right? So, what does it even mean to stop wearing these labels and to know that one can rest, you know, and and stop performing all the time? I don't even know.
1: <laughs> I have chills. I've never heard anyone say that before, and and it is so true. And I just thought, you know who was I before I identified and acknowledged my transgenderism, which I've known since a child, I've just suppressed it and it makes so, I think the most frustrating thing about our journey as queer people is that there's so much to unpack. There's so much to to heal, you know? And it's like living in this world where we're demanding opportunity and demanding rights and protection and equality, we really don't have time for revisiting who we are. you know? and and that's almost like a waste of life, but also fighting is also to make someone else's life better, right? A lot of the, a lot of the things that we're fighting for, a lot of them we really won't benefit from in our lifetime. I think we're gonna make it super sweet or much, much, much better for a generation that's probably not even born yet. So we have to look at it, yeah, we're, we're pioneers, but we have to kind of like, um. pace ourselves and, and kind of like take turns on being in the front lines and so that we all have the opportunity to kind of like pull back and, and heal and have time for our, ourselves and, and healing our minds, you know.
2: So as you were talking about healing, it also occurred to me as a black trans woman that even when you're embarking on self-healing, it's always, it always signals or signifies something to someone else. Does that make sense? Like your work is never just for you.
1: I think some of the issues in the in the transgender community is that we we all have been held back for so long, just as individuals. Let's like let's just take the transgender um, experience out of it. I just think as individuals we've been held back, and we have so much to bring to the table. We all want to be the first to do this. We want to be the loudest to do that. We want the biggest that, the biggest dress, the biggest red carpet moment, the biggest, you know. Social media, you know, viral, we, we, we all want that because we feel like we have something to say and we all feel like it's very important. Um, but, you know, again, I think at the end of the day, us really um, honing in exactly what we're trying to say as community, whether that's queer gay people, trans people, so that we could focus on what really, 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 really matter to just move the needle forward in a more um, aerodynamic way. Like we're moving, but it's kind of like chaotic, you know, yeah. it's a lot of and chaos. We're building
2: happening. the plane as we're flying.
1: No, yep. yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we are. That's scary. And that's kind of funny to look at, too. But, you know, um, but the good thing about it with a lot of this ruckus that's happening publicly, I think i i personally think is great news i i think that the silence was worrying me the 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 safety nets really worry me i think that we have to put ourselves out there as black people in general and talk about all these issues regardless what side we're on how we were raised what religion we are we have to talk about this if we want to make it to the next 20 years like as a black community um, so all of the ruckus and, and the and the tensions that's happening, I welcome it because it really shows that we're moving forward because we're reaching more people, you know. And, um, you know, having uh, um, a timeline full of emojis of you know, rainbows and unicorns and smiley faces really scares me. I, I like a, a good, you know, proverbial you know, fuck you or tranny or, you know, because it goes to show that something is being pushed where I'm getting closer and closer to someone else. And it's, it's just, regardless if they agree, it's, it's ruffling feathers, you know, it's making people talk and we need more talking than silence.
2: That's interesting. I haven't considered that approach before, that, that bumping into someone else isn't just them yelling a pejorative, it's them encountering your lived experience.
1: That's it right. proves That's
2: you're right. real, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Well, That's right. And and and, right. The, and the yeah, and your your not just your story, but your existence and the the justification of you taking up the space in this world is actually being presented in front of people, uh, for whatever reason, however, whether it's on their phone or a friend or a girlfriend talking about it in the bed, you're you're starting to reach more people. And it's not about converting anyone to anything, right? It's just about us crossing paths as as humans and um and being introduced to each other you know again we're gonna have to face the music and i think we're just on the precipice of really having no choice but to talk about this as a community
0: i think that like even when i think about my experience as a black trans woman and how you know most black women think you know that their husbands aren't sleeping with us, that their husbands aren't attracted to us. But they're the first ones that, when they see us, they'll call us out and say that we're beautiful. You're really gorgeous. You're a woman. But until the moment they find out that their son or their husband likes us, like for them, it's surprising to find out that their kids can be gay. If they if, if they understood that it's something in our culture, that your kid can be trans, then we wouldn't be in a position where, you know, at a higher rate, black. LGBTQIA plus youth are being rejected. You have to sound a certain way. You have to look a certain way. You have to be a certain way. That most of the time, the strife that comes with who we are is because we didn't become who our parents wanted wanted us us to be. be. That I don't need to be anything you say I need to be. Because when your husband encountered me, he saw me as a black woman. And he too would agree that I deserve protection as a black woman. But your ignorance keep making you think that he don't see me as one. When I carry out my black womanhood experience, know that it looks so much like you and it is very close to home. It is so close to home that I may be in your home when you're not there.
2: I've been really inspired and enchanted, I should say, by the late John Berger. So, um, uh, for listeners who might not know, John Berger was a British-French art critic um, who's credited with the coining the phrase, the male gaze. And part of Berger's challenge to us was that we can better understand and appreciate art, um, not by kind of a objectively looking at the piece of art in front of us but by understanding where the artist was at the time in their life they made that piece of art so i read somewhere that in 2018 you had this idea for kokomo city what was happening in your world in 2018 that made kokomo city seem like it had to become real
1: honestly there were so many reasons why i had to do the film i mean or i wanted to do the film i mean personal reasons social reasons. Um, I try to stay away from politics I, I, I as best I could, can, but everything in the world is so political and sensationalized in a political way that it's really kind of hard to navigate that without looking like a coward or unintelligent. So I, I'm just trying to find a space that I could reach people without it being pushy or right. So initially when I thought to do Kokomo City, I was sleeping on uh, a couch, someone's couch, like for about three or four years, I've been sleeping on couch to couch. All of my friends that I have, they all, they've all they all had me on their sofas and couches um, and for various times. And I just got to a place where I just started thinking, you know, it was a very dark place, honestly. And I, I've always played things by the book, always done things the right way as far as like just being a decent person making a living, you know, and, um, never been in any trouble jail or, or, you know, even a fist fight I've never had. So doing things the right way still got me banished and kind of like discriminated and, uh, disgraced out of the music industry. And, and it left me kind of like, um, Lonely and extremely vulnerable and embarrassed ashamed. I was so ashamed. that entire um, I was ashamed that entire um, You know uh, journey that experience and What inspired me to do Kokomo City was the fact that I was seeing so much queer and transgender content, but I didn't feel that it was moving the needle forward in an urgent provocative, relatable way, and I wanted to create something that represented not only me as an artist, but, but black people that was in a swag, I just, we, I wanted something swaggy, like, there are some really great documentaries that, that, you know, were done around that time, but they just felt really, uh, I don't want to say corporate, but they felt really measured, you know? And like my brother, my brother's friends and his homeboys and cousins, they would never watch any of those um, LGBT uh, documentaries. They just would never. They would have no reason to. Nothing stood out or nothing felt like it could connect them or bridge them. Kokomo City, I wanted to create, to do that, something I would want to watch, something I know my brother would at least hear about, my dad would at least hear about and um that's exactly <laughs> what has happened.
2: That's thank you for saying that because it's for black people.
1: Yeah. Like the absolutely. whole time
2: I was watching it, I was I, I have this in my notes for later. I, I was gonna be ordered with this, but I'm so excited that you said this. Because I was watching it and I was like making my food and I was talking back to the girls. Like it was like a proper <laughs> call and response.
1: Yeah. And I was like yeah. this
2: is for us, right? Because it's not yeah. a lot of art. That you talk yeah. back to like that. Yeah, but, yeah. but
1: see, the difference... Yeah, because the difference is when I did this film, I had no... Um, no agent. I didn't have the CAA at the time. I didn't have my management company. I didn't have a producer. It was literally just me with no interruption, no second guessing, no one making me think twice. I had nothing. I just did what felt natural and also creative that felt like, you know, this is my creative integrity and I'm going to completely do what feels like D. Smith and would represent me but you know i had i had people like spike lee in mind and i had you know all you know 90s films and and even you know boys in the hood there's there's you know little things that people wouldn't not catch in a documentary but i didn't want to make a quintessential documentary because Black people, we don't, we don't we we watch certain things, but we you gotta really get black people in their bag. That that's the slang, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the dialect, that's the imagery, that's the you know the music. It's the the way it's shot. It's just got to be swaggy, and there's not a lot of swaggy content with LGBT people. It's just not, you know. And I think that's what I'm bringing to the table, and people are responding to it, you know. And black women, in particular, are really. Uh, Championing this. like I know a lot of people like to paint out like black women and trans women are against each other but black women are really stepping up and really saying like this shit was dope I can't wait for my husband to see this I can't wait to, for my boyfriend to see this me and my girlfriends are gonna watch this and that's a natural grassroots respond and you can't put a price on that like that that is what it's all about you know my people coming to see something that I did on both sides of the fence.
2: Congratulations. I mean, I just I think that's what happens when we as black people experience art made for us. Like, it's just so obvious that it's it's for us. It's different. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Like, it's just it just hits differently. Right. And so the other LGBT documentaries that you haven't named, but that you're alluding to, of course, your brothers and your dad are not going to watch them because those are gay documentaries. They're not documentaries about black
1: people. Listen. <laughs> a lot Listen, a lot of these organizations are 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 here to help. Um but but uh, uh, but a lot of times at the same time they literally just pin us against each other. You know, every week there's a new rule, every week there's a new <sighs> title. There's it's just a lot to keep up with. My I mean, I I I'm almost at the place where I'm just like Personally, I, I just don't want any part of the extra splitting of the hairs, you know I really just want to communicate as plainly as possible. That's all I want. I'm not gonna crucify anyone that Says something to me that should be offensive if they didn't mean to I'm not I'm not one of those people and you know I've been used in that way in the past and I've I've, I've, I've fought it and I, I got out of that and I'm back where I belong um, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to tell any trans woman or queer people how to express themselves, but we need leaders in our community from top to bottom, from straight to uh, transgender. We need all of them to come together in the room and, and decide how they're going to represent all of us and how we're going to come together and represent, um, each other. Because when we have outside, uh, influences that don't understand our culture, it, it literally divides us. And these are powerful entities, powerful uh, organizations that, that have helped in certain ways, but also um, has called, caused a lot, a lot of harm.
2: I read an essay uh, by an author, Stephanie Bishop, describing her process of writing a novel, which she says is as much about destruction as creation. She says, quote, At some point, the wrecking ball comes and it smashes its way through the artifice of whatever thing you've been diligently carving or through whatever you've been trying to write in order to avoid. And it's so clear to me, reading her essay, that the process of making art is also what it takes to live, right? You gotta destroy to recreate, bring everything down. So I'm curious about in what ways might the process of creating Kokomo City reflect what you've learned through your own survival, thriving, and liveliness?
1: Yeah, wow, incredible. Um, You know, when talking about this film, I also talk about um, my process of really um, forgiving, you know, and that I think that was the destruction, the destruction of the wall that I built and the animosity that I built towards people that did me wrong. Um, you know, even outside of me being trans, just, just all of the baggage and luggage and 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 trauma that I brought, you know, with me over the years is so incredible how much energy I put, you know, just living, carrying that stuff, not wanting to leave it or destroy that. Um, and I, I, I started to use that as an excuse for just defend defending myself. They did me wrong. But to do this and to make this film even to exist, I had to really forgive myself for being so hard on myself. Forgive myself for also being mean to people, forgive myself for allowing people to hurt me, you know, but no one inspired or encouraged me to, to to go through that process. It happened naturally I, I didn't know what was happening. I just went with it. I did fastings. I all of these things before Kokomo City really, you know, kind of like took root. And um, uh, yeah, that that is amazing. I love that that um, I love that uh, analogy. You know, you of destroying to create. You have to get rid of to kind of make room for something new and real and and vibrant and purposeful.
2: And before you go. What inspires you about the lives of sex workers? What makes them, for you, particularly important lives to document and, in many ways, immortalize?
1: I support sex work, um, but I don't encourage it. I I'm intrigued by the process in which these women are engaged into in, being introduced into sex work, and I really want uh, trans people as a community to now teach the newer, you know, trans women, young women that, that when this is not the nineties anymore, this isn't the early two thousands where this should be an option. You know, um, if it becomes an option, we have to support them, but we also have to present to them, Hey girl, if you really don't want to do that, you could get a job at Walmart. You, you really want not to be on the street. You could work at CVS you could do other programs. There's really, really, really other options may not be as quick or, you know, but, um, I'm, I worry about people, uh, trans women that have to do, uh, sex work. I am, I am, again, I do support, but I do worry. And it's become very stressful after losing a cast member. It's become very different than when I started. And, um, Yeah, I just want us to become more aware that we should definitely protect younger trans women to avoid them for having to make that an option.
2: Dee Smith is a Grammy-nominated producer, singer, and songwriter. She is the director of Kokomo City, which won the Sundance Film Festival's Next Innovator Award and Next Audience Award, as well as the Berlinale's Audience Award in the Panorama Documentary section. A special thank you to Campbell X for always advocating for busy being Black and thus making this conversation possible busy being black is an exploration and expression of queer liveliness and my guests are those who have learned to live love and thrive at the intersection of their identities your support of the show means the world. Please leave a rating and a review and share these conversations far and wide. As we continue to work towards futures worthy of us all, my hope is that as many of you as possible understand Busy Being Black as a soft, tender, and intellectually rigorous place for you all to land. Thank you to my friend Lazarus Lynch for creating the ancestral and enlivening Busy Being Black theme music.
1: I'm so